Matthew, welcome back. Very good to see you. Nice to be back. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to catching up with you. So it's been a while since we had a proper conversation. And uh, as we were just, I had some things obviously going on, but you had some big things going on as well. So if I'm not mistaken, you, maybe let me just do a very quick intro of you and then feel free to, cor to correct me. But I think Great. most people know you. No, I think primarily you're an investor, but most people probably know you because as a founder of or a co-founder of Nine Others, which is this dinner that I always recommend to all the founders I know, because I've said it before, I'll say it again. I think it's the best event for founders that you can go to in the UK and not just in the UK worldwide, but you guys have hosted now is it thousands of dinners or at least over a thousand dinners um we've done many many hundreds yes i don't think we've hit thousands of dinners quite yet actually thousands um, of guests that's what but thousands of guests, of guests yeah i like yeah. at least five thousand people have been to a meal with nine others which yeah i started that in in 2011 with katie um and um and yeah i guess that's the kind of public facing bit really that's the bit perhaps people are more familiar with um but it's very very simple but because we've been doing it so long people seem to like it but we we do it because people like it and we like it so it's um it's it's great that you recommend it thank you i always do so i'm, I'm sure that a few people already came to to your events through me and I think you had a few exits happen since the last time we spoke. So you were last time you were on the podcast was probably close to two years ago or like one one and a half years ago probably. And some of your investments had an exit. Is that right? Yeah, I did. Um, so I think we spoke uh, last on the podcast. It was you know it was right in amongst COVID. I think it was one of the yeah one of the early ones that um, I remember doing uh, doing in in COVID, which was a big change for all of us, obviously. And then since then, yeah, uh, in 2022, I started getting some exits. Um, I've had four in total now, uh, which have been great. And, you know, it's like, as an, as an investor, which we might get into, you know, the failures sometimes happen quite quickly. And uh, even the successes, you know, not much happens very quickly. So you're kind of thinking for, for a long time, you know, sometimes for years, uh, you're kind of wondering whether you're any good at this, um, at this kind of thing. And then, uh, you know, you keep going, keep going. And actually, that's when the exits happen. So I'd been doing it for quite a number of years and then just had my first exit in 2022. Um, and then a few happened quite quickly. So it was it was fantastic. It's been really, really good. The patience that's required for that. It's incredible and admirable because, yeah, I mean, that's that's the nature of investing, right? You. What's what's the average time actually that it takes for a company to exit? Is it seven years or is it more? Seven years oh, is kind of number than a year being thrown around. I mean, seven years is probably pretty quick. Mm. Um, actually, well, certainly since the beginning of the company. So you know, my my best exit actually it was it was about uh, let me see it was probably about eight years, but that was since the very very beginning of the company. You know, some investors obviously invest not right at the beginning but they may invest in the seed stage or various seed stages and then by the time it gets to exit yeah it can take many many years um but certainly from beginning to end it's, it's you know it's, it's a long time um but it's extremely quick if it happens in seven or eight years mm. actually and it's quite good because 
I mean, look, I've had I've had fantastic exits, but if you think of some of the mega exits, especially in the last few years when companies have been staying private uh, for longer, um, actually, if they're working, they seem to remain private for longer. So uh-huh. um, again, it's it's more of the patience game, and if it, it can be frustrating, but if these companies just keep going because they're working, then actually they stay private a bit longer. So you might have to wait a little bit longer for your exit. Um, but when it does happen, it can be it can be more meaningful. Nice. So yeah, maybe share a little bit. How was it when you finally get those first exits? And it's uh, obviously, I mean. I- I can probably relate, a, relate. I've never had a proper exit, right? But um, can probably relate a little bit more to the founder side of that. Obviously, you work on that for a really long time and then uh, you get that massive payoff and achieve that success that you've been working towards. And for an investor, it's different but similar, right? It's something that you've, um, you know, you had to pick, you have to make the right pick, the, the right choices and then years later, years later, years of waiting and you, you don't know, sometimes it's, going well yeah, sometimes it, probably not going so well <laughs> <laughs> it's funny i mean it it's it's a number of things right i mean you know first and foremost i mean i'm a minor investor right so i'm a i'm a small part of uh the investment group in these companies and you know the founders are and should be um you know they should have the lion's share of any of any exit and the, and it's just brilliant to see as you said to see that hard work pay off um because the founders are working for years and years you know, they've got the most at risk. Uh, they've got the most to lose and to gain. Um, and it's and it's wonderful to see the hard work pay off. And as an investor, yeah, you know, you kind of hope that you make the right decisions at the time, knowing that lots of companies can fail and, and, and a lot do. Um, but it's certainly, yeah, going through these and having a few exits, um, I think it certainly has given me a bit of confidence in terms of you know what I've learned over the years, and it's always refining, but it's given me a bit of confidence in um, in in the evaluation of founders and being able to recognise you know some of the patterns and such like, um, which I'll always you know always keep refining, but uh, always keep with me from the ones I've had. But then you learn from the failures as well. Like there was one. And um, it was going to be a huge, huge success for us as investors and success for the founder. Um, but then it failed. It all fell over, you know, kind of in the last minute. Um, so, you know, the other thing to learn is it's never done till, you know, you've got the money in the bank. Mm. Um, yeah. So it's it's lots of um, lots of lessons. Yeah, that's why I hear very often that even when you get those fears, if you're a founder, right, and you're uh, looking at a potential exit, exit, somebody reaches out to you, and you know they're looking at acquiring you. There's, there's still, and even when the due diligence starts, so things are getting kind of serious. There's mm-hmm. still probably like fifty percent, or even more than fifty percent chance that the whole thing is just going to fail for whatever number of reasons, right? Yeah. Well, it's like any funding round, right? You get funding, and mm-hmm. and you know some founders, the the poorer founders think, okay, great, we've made it, but there are always challenges. You're always um, you know, constrained in one way or another, you've always got to work hard. It's always going to be stressful. Um, and, and yeah, you treat the, uh, M&A process like that as well. And, um, I think, I think too many founders, um, could have better exits if they thought about it differently. And maybe it's not gone through enough. I mean, I'm not deeply involved because I invest at the early stages, but still learn a lot through, through, 
these companies having the exits and how the founders run the process and how the founders operate and think about their exit um, has a huge, huge impact. And, um, you know, even at, well, especially at that later stage and at the exit stage, you've got to still remember that incentives matter. And, um, you know, people buying companies want to pay as little as possible and get all the value and people selling companies want to get as much money as possible. And, and that's not really aligned. So it's how the founder manages through that process. That's really, really important. And, um, and, and hard work, really, really hard work. Mm. Yeah, we, we've had a few stories, I think, that we shared before on the, on the podcast with founders who had exits. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a journey, right? It's, it, it, it's, it's probably, it's one thing that you're the most looking forward to, but at the same time, it becomes one of the most stressful parts of the journey, I think, because <laughs> <laughs> there's so much yeah. of that extra work that you need to do. And uh, again, that constant uncertainty is this even going to happen is it not going to happen is it going to be good or not <laughs> so yeah it's uh and you've got to run the business in the meantime right so when exactly you're that process yeah. you're going through diligence and all the rest of it um you still got to be um still got to be running the business well and you, you usually don't really want to share it too much yet because you don't know if it's all going to happen what's going to be reaction yeah. from the employees and so on so yeah yeah um, well then you had obviously another big thing that happened uh, over the last few months, which is you wrote your first book. So congrats. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you're right. The first. So there will be more. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I <good>. hope so. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we did. Uh, Katie and I finally got got uh, got ourselves together and uh, wrote a book about nine others, which has um, been very well received. And it was a great thing to do, great thing to go through. Um, and it's, yeah, it's been fantastic. Loved it. I saw in the book that somebody described nine others as group therapy for founders. And I think that's a, that's a pretty creative, but accurate description, right? So maybe, well, actually for, for those who might be listening and who don't know what nine others is, how, how do you describe it? All right, before we continue, I want to take a second to talk about our sponsor. I've always been saying that one of the best ways to learn about business is by working closely with a smart and successful entrepreneur, and this might be your opportunity. Our sponsor is a company called JudgeMe. JudgeMe is a Shopify product review plugin, and they're the number one plugin on Shopify. They're literally, if you look at the Shopify app store, they're in the first spot. They're bootstrapped, and they managed to outcompete other companies that raised hundreds of millions of dollars by just being smarter and building a better product. They were started by PJ, who was also a guest on the Founders Lounge, episode 54, so I recommend you to check it out. They recently moved their headquarters to London and they're looking for smart people to join them. They're looking for product managers, engineers, and they're looking to fill other roles as well. So check out careers.judge.me and see if you find any role that you like and apply. So that's careers.judge.me. Now, enjoy the rest of the episode. Um, well, it's very, very simple. And yeah, I guess group therapy for uh, for founders is an accurate description that someone gave it in the early days. So it's called Nine Others because it is oneself and nine others. So it, it is a small group. So it's only ever 10 people, oneself and nine others. And we organize a dinner. Uh, so a very simple meal. And... Uh, the people who are there are, you know, founders, entrepreneurs, people working in startups. And the whole point is to help solve some 
business challenges. So for each person at the table, they have to share what's keeping them up at night, what their challenge is. And these are, you know, ordinary, everyday business of business challenges um, that founders face over the years. Um, but what we realized before we started Nine Others was there are very few places, if any, that the founders get to talk about these challenges. So Katie and I were working with founders and startups in the funding world and realized that a lot of these people have the same challenges each other but they don't get to talk about it because at every other networking event and in most other situations they're selling right they're getting mm. investments so they're they're pitching um they're trying to get customers or users um or they're trying to you know attract talent so in all these other situations you know they're in sales mode so they feel like everything has to be brilliant but you know, they've got the challenges of business about about hiring people, about maybe firing people, um, about money, you know, raising money, getting money, uh, chasing invoices, uh, money going in, money going out. And so Katie and I thought, okay, is there something we can do for these founders to try and um, have have other founders help solve those challenges? So that was kind of the, the, the origins of Nine Others. And it's so simple and it's not really changed. So every person that comes along shares what's keeping them up at night. And then we spend you know, 10, 15 minutes kicking around that problem um, to see if the group can can help out. And, it, and it's often not about finding you know, one magic answer. It's about helping that person think and then helping them make a step forward. And it's as and it's as simple as that. There's no, there's no hierarchy. You're not going to come and find you know the answer from someone who's been there and done everything. Um, but in discussing the challenge, and in listening to, I think importantly, you know, listening to what questions that other people ask, then you can you can help take a step forward um, and just make a decision and and do something. You know, you have to act, and it might not be the best answer. It might not be the perfect answer, but it'll get you towards that. Mm. And that's kind of the mission behind Nine Others. One thing that I always mention about the event as well is, so as you said, you're not, you're not in a pitching mode, right? So you can actually share, you can share your struggles. Everyone understands you. The whole purpose is that you can share what's what the problem is. Yeah. Um, and it's also not a typical, far from being a typical networking event, right? It's not somewhere where you just, you know, go there and exchange business cards. It's actually you, you actually get to know each other on a very intimate in a very intimate way in a very intimate setting you're there everyone gets their 15 minutes to talk and you take so much out of those conversations it's it's the most um effective or maybe you should say like productive kind of event that you can do um to solve your business problems right or, or one of the most kind of productive ways to get get feedback on the, the problems that you're facing at the moment. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, that's good to hear. Um, I think it's, uh, and we say about this in the book, is to be deliberately vulnerable. Mm. And I think whether it's at Nine Others or with, um, you know, with friends, with mentors, with coaches, with with other peers, um, I think it's good to be able to set something up where you can be deliberately vulnerable in the, mm. in the right environment. And at Nine Others, you know, it's Chatham House rules, so you share what you're comfortable sharing. Um, people respect that there's that confidentiality uh, that we have and and people respect it um and and yeah people share all sorts of challenges um you know from the minor everyday stuff to the big you know existential should i continue with my business should i continue with my co-founder 
Um, you know, should I fire this early employee? You know, all of these sorts of things we've had over the years. And it's, um, you know, it pleases myself and Katie that that people want to open up and share those things. And we've, you know, we're, we're grateful that people do that and we've created an environment where they can and um, and they get other people's perspectives. And, and, you know, these are all pretty much early stage founders around the table. So like I say, you're not going to hear from someone who's, you know, been there and done it several times and has the answer. You're going to be around the table with other people who are, you know, in amongst those challenges themselves. And I think that's the best place to um to discuss them because somebody else around the table that you probably never heard of or never met before you know might have faced a similar challenge to that a few months ago yeah. or maybe in amongst it um you know as 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 they are too um so yeah it's been super yeah that was exactly my experience whenever i came to the dinner as well that you whatever the question is you'll get at least three four or five people who will give you provide some kind of answer for you and so yeah this happened to me or yeah this is how we solved it or i know this one person who had the same problem and mm. i can introduce you after um and then well obviously you and katie you've been to hundreds of these events now and you guys have a lot you've acquired a lot of wisdom through that as well so well let's just say you know we, we we thought at the beginning you know is this going to go anywhere are people going to like it so we did one and then it was you know it was well received so we did another we did another and we thought well at the very very worst you know we're going to have dinner with a bunch of interesting people <laughs> exactly. and we might learn some stuff uh so you know that has definitely happened um but you know we have our challenges as well and um you know it's been fantastic to to do this over the years and connect with some incredible people doing some incredible things um and yeah we've 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 certainly you know learned the most it's been it's been super that's a, that's a pretty good uh, side effect of doing these events mm. <laughs> and so now in the book you've kind of gathered some of that knowledge and you go through 10 questions right 10 questions that every founder should ask themselves preferably as early as possible into their journey i would say and uh, I think I would describe the book as a blend of business advice and personal growth through introspection primarily. Would you say that that's accurate? Um, yeah, I mean, there are, you're right. We, we, we have 10 questions that we think founders should ask themselves. And, and some of those are, you know, more personal about yourself as a, as a human, you know, why you're doing what you're doing, you know, why am I doing this in the first place kind of thing. Um, and then, so that's kind of more of the personal development stuff, the kind of reflection um, about yourself. Um, and then others are more, yeah, are more business focused um, about putting yourself out there and, um, you know, how to think about starting, growing, scaling uh, a company. And, and, you know, someone recently described it as a bunch of stories and essays uh, from nine others. And it is, it's kind of, a, you know, short stories um i suppose like each each chapter is a bit of a long essay on um on examples we've seen around those questions mm. and um you know anecdotes from people who've been to nine others as well mm -hmm. i'd love to go through some of those questions and discuss a little bit and then everyone who's listening to so for me it was certainly interesting to go through the book and you know, ask those questions at the back of my mind, a lot of which are, yeah, questions that you, they cross your mind um, sooner or later. And yeah, the sooner you answer them, the better it probably is. 
Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd, look, I'd love to go through some of them with you today, probably not all of them. Um, everyone who's interested in going through all of them, obviously you should order the book. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's really good and it's really <laughs> shares, uh, has a lot of good knowledge, good wisdom in it and a lot of good stories as you said as well. Um, yeah, great. No, happy to talk through anything and, um, you know, from my perspective or from some of the, um, some of the stories we've come across through nine others as well. Nice. Uh, so obviously when you start, uh, I think you took the lessons from Simon Sinek and you start with why, right? What the, one of the first questions you should ask yourself is why am I doing this anyway? Uh, which is an interesting one because I think that's ultimately the driver of a lot of what you do or maybe everything you do in life, um, and in business. So you need that why for yourself as a person, but you also need that why for the business, right? I think those can be the same, but they can also be different, right? What's the broader why that you share with uh, employees and with your co-founders and with the world and maybe what's your personal why mm. and I think it's an interesting question because a lot of I think the why and I'm, I'm, I'm wondering actually if you agree with this but I think it very often starts with the money but I think it usually doesn't end with the money I think very often when you look at business people often start a business because they're like well you know I want to have that financial freedom or wealth or whatever it might be, or maybe I want to buy a Ferrari or whatever it is. Um, and then I'm sure it sometimes continues like that, but very often I see that that doesn't become the main why anymore. It's mm -hmm. something that gets you in, but it's not something that keeps you going for decades. Right. Um, again, maybe sometimes yes, but very often it's not necessarily the ultimate uh, driver. I mean, money's important. We all want it we all focused on it, you know, we've got to have it to survive and thrive. Um, but it shouldn't be the focus if you're going to start a startup. And the reason is there are probably better ways to get rich than starting a startup. You know, there are very, very smart people starting companies. They could get extremely well-paid jobs and live very, very comfortable lives. But I think there has to be a stronger why behind doing the business because if you're going to start a startup, you know, I often say like the guaranteed result is it's going to get really, really difficult. It's going to get so hard and you're going to probably be, you know, I mean, you're forever resource constrained, but especially in the early days, you're probably not going to be able to pay yourself very much, if anything. Um, you know, yeah. a lot of businesses start as side hustles. So you have to be motivated by something else. And I've tried a bunch of things in the past when I was, um, you know, miserable working for software companies in the past i thought no i want to start a business i want to you know um do something more interesting more impactful i want to reap the rewards of my hard work um, and i had a bunch of ideas and tried a bunch of things but for some of them i just wasn't motivated enough so i wasn't getting out of bed you know a couple of hours earlier to work on an idea i had this idea i thought it was great but i just wasn't doing it um and then you know i was working for an investor and then with Katie, working with Katie for a year or so. And then we had the, had the idea for nine others. And then it was kind of easy. I, you know, I got up at 5 a.m. I came into London early. I met Katie at about 7 a.m. And we worked on nine others, thinking about it, who to invite, where to have it, how, what it should be, you know, working on our own why for the business um, for, you know, an hour and a half or so before we went to our respective day jobs. So that was kind of the filter 
for whether I was motivated enough to do that idea. And I think if you focus on money too much too soon, the money doesn't come very quickly. Um, so if you focus on that, you're not going to get it. So then you'll give up. So there has to be something more meaningful behind behind it. Mm. And then I see very often also people who do make the money. There's always money is like a, a score a little bit in business as well, right? So if you want to treat business as a game, then mm. the financial success is a bit of a, a scoreboard that you're you're chasing. Mm -hmm. um, but at some point, I think a lot of people also realize that it's it. I think to to some extent it does make you happier, but at some point there's just not that much more. I don't know, happiness or material um, possessions that it brings to you that would make your life that much better. And um, if nothing else at that point, you perhaps switch to something else. And I think for me, if I speak from my personal experience, obviously, yes, of course, there's a financial motivator that is still strong for me. But I think with every year, the bigger motivator for me is the actual how I grow as a person through mm -hmm. business. And I've talked about that quite a few times already on the podcast but it's a really important thing to me it's i i to me that's the ultimate thing that i can be doing in my life to just become a better person in many many aspects of my life right yeah and i think it goes in various phases as well so you know from start to you know to going through it then yeah start you've got a you know money maybe shouldn't be the main driver but you've got to have a purpose behind what you're doing if you you know, quote unquote, make it and you make a bit of money and you can be financially independent. Well, a lot of people get there and they have no purpose anymore. So they're miserable. Mm -hmm. So, okay, they've got yeah. a bit of money, but then they're unhappy. So they have to spend some time, you know, discovering a different purpose. And for some people, like I've, I know some extremely wealthy people, you know, in the billionaire territory. And even for them, it must be something beyond money because if it was just money, they would have given up when they had you know, 10 million, 20 million, 50 million, mm -hmm. they would have packed it in and, and, and not done anything. So they must have some greater purpose that then uh, obviously makes, keeps making them more and more money. Um, and I think the other thing to think about, which I, I thought of when you were, when you were speaking there was a very, and again, it goes in phases, but I remember being out for a run a few months ago and I, I was, I had a, I had a break, I'd run for a few miles and I had a break and I was walking up through a bit. And I just sort of wondered to myself, which I've wondered quite a bit since because it's quite a good indicator for me. Um, I imagined, I said, okay, if I was, you know, multi, multi, multi-millionaire, would I be doing anything different right now? Mm -hmm. And a lot of the time, thankfully, uh, the answer is no. You know, so if I was sitting here with absolute piles of millions, or if I was on that run with piles of, you know, would I be doing anything different? Well, no, I'd probably still have the same kit on. I'd have the same trainers on. I'd, I'd still want to go for a run. Um, and I think that's been a useful question to myself. You know, I'm not mm. as financially independent as I want to be yet, but I still ask the question, you know, if, if I was absolutely stinking rich, would I be doing anything different right now? And if the answer is yes, you know, this, 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 then, okay, maybe you have to work towards that or that can help you find um, a different purpose. But it's quite it's quite nice to say actually no I wouldn't be doing anything different like if I I've always said if if things if I absolutely hit the jackpot or if things go terribly terribly wrong um, I can still do nine others once a month you know even though it doesn't generate pots of money but I enjoy doing it and I think it's got a good 
purpose behind it. Mm. So even if I was a billionaire, I think I'd still host a nine others each month. Um, so that means it's a good thing to to do now that I'm, you know, when I'm when I'm not a billionaire. So that's also a good thing for me to hear because when you will be a billionaire, I I want you to still keep doing the nine others events. Okay? Yeah, yeah, so... you're you're all <laughs> <laughs> definitely. We'll see. We'll see what book number we're on by then. <laughs> we'll see. Well, uh, we'll be waiting. Um, yeah, I, I remember now when you were talking about it. Um, I think it was Steve Jobs was famous for. Uh, or there's this story about him that every morning he would wake up and look at himself in the mirror and say, "If I were to die, what is it? If I were to die in a few days, would I still do what? I, no, it was something like that. Um, yeah, if I were to die in a few days, will I still do what I'm going to do today? Yes. If I were to die in a mm. week, am I still gonna? Would I still do what I'm going to do today? And if the answer was no for a few days in a row, he realized that he had to change something. I do think that's a tricky question, though, because yeah, I'm not keen on that question. <laughs> I, yeah, because I'm I'm not going to die in seven days. So I'm, I, I think if I'm going to die in seven days. I, it really doesn't matter what I do, right? For the next, yeah, exactly. in, I don't need to take care of my myself. I don't need to take care of my life. But the reality is, that hopefully, I'm going to live decades and decades, right? Yeah. Which I think maybe there's some middle ground to that question. Maybe there's some middle ground. So it's like, look, if you, I don't know, if you were, if you knew you were going to die in two years' time, uh, would you, you know, what would you do? And I think that's yeah. quite a, that's quite a different question to say. If you're going to die at the weekend, what would you do? <laughs> Even two years is still a pretty short, short term, right? Mm. And there was this famous article that came out years ago about what people said on their deathbeds. Mm. And I have the same opinion about that article, to be honest. It's like, well, when you're on deathbed, I don't think you're necessarily having the clearest thoughts. I'm not saying that I have the clearest thoughts. I'm not saying that the way I look at the world right now is the best, yeah. but it. I, I, it, it is a little bit different when you're about to die and you're well I, I wish i would just you know spend 24 7 with my family like sure but you yeah there's other stuff you, just you can't do in exactly. life as well you, yeah <laughs> you just can't like yeah those questions are always oh i should have spent more time with my friends or more time with my family well you you have to i mean look should we cancel the call now and go go see our families well no because you've got a you know it's a, it's a great balance and that's part of the um the big challenge of life right yeah Good. So one of the next questions that you talk about in the book is how do I get more visible? So that's an interesting one because I actually think for a long time in my career, I didn't actually think about that. Um, maybe even more so. So me coming from a more technical background, it's more of a mm -hmm. builder kind of person, right? We need to build build it and they will come, which eventually we realized that that's not really how it works in, in real life. And uh, it's, it's better if they come first and then you build it <laughs> after all. So it's the visibility is often, I came to believe that visibility and um, distribution is often more important than the actual product or the quality of the product that you do. Not that that's not important, but if you don't have the visibility, the product really doesn't matter because you're not going to sell it and you're not going to yeah. sell yourself as a product if you look at it that way, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that's what the chapter is generally about, right? How do you get out there you as an individual and i guess how you push your work or your, your your startup out there as well um and i'm curious i mean first maybe if you have anything to add in general to that but second also i'm curious what are some good examples that you're seeing out there i think 
being out there and building a personal brand as a founder, which I think is related to this question, became very popular, especially in the recent years. I didn't mm-hmm. see that much five years ago, but I see it a lot over the last two years, especially. Yeah, I mean, as as with many of these things, there's no one right answer. I think it's it, it's it's a couple of things. So I think you've got to figure out a bit like your why and your purpose. You've got to figure out like what suits you. Um, but I think what you know, even when you're doing that, it takes a lot of experimenting, and you you've got to push yourself. And mm-hmm. and I've had to do this, you know, speaking personally about making myself more visible. Um, it's not really my comfort zone to 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 do a lot of these things. Um, so I've had to work on that, you know, putting myself out there, putting you know opinions, thoughts, um, and such like online you know, writing, appearing on things like this. Um, you know, I want to be able to do it, um, but it wasn't completely comfortable. So I think you do have to find a way that works for yourself, but it will involve pushing out of your comfort zone a bit. Um, but that comes through a bit of experimentation. I think, you know, as you're going through that, it, it, it's just got to come across as genuine as well. I think we've all seen, you know, I mean, I gave up LinkedIn for a year um i'm i'm back on it now but i'm kind of questioning it sometimes because a lot of the a lot of the stuff on there just doesn't seem very genuine mm. you know it's either written by an assistant or it's in a little group or pods that people call them and people comment on each other's posts and such like to try and get more more clicks and views and whatnot um and i and i don't really want to play that game because it just comes across as as rather as rather fake um so I think, yeah, you do have to push yourself. You do have to get out your comfort zone, but it's it's to find a way that works for yourself. And there are so many different avenues to take. Um, you know, I, I don't, you know, I'm not on, for example, I'm not on TikTok, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because maybe it'll work wonderfully for me. A friend of mine suggests that I, you know, could be on there and should be on there. But I just don't, you know, I just, I'm just not there yet. I don't think that's right for me. Um, we need to clip I, this part and put it on TikTok. <laughs> yeah, go <laughs> for it. You know, do that. I'm all right with that, but I don't want to fiddle around with TikTok. Um, but, you know, I still, I still like Twitter for all its faults. Mm-hmm. And I'm getting back into LinkedIn a bit, you know, uh, to try and, uh, you know, try and spread the word a bit about nine others and again it comes back to the comes back to the purpose of it like i was off linkedin for a year and then i thought okay i'll go back on it i mean i'm using it in a different way i don't have any notifications i don't get any emails from linkedin about comments or connections or anything else so i have to go into the you know into the website to see what's going on and i do that every now and again and and the purpose behind it is to hopefully is to you know spread more of the stories about nine others because i think it's a useful a useful thing and you know help some of my portfolio companies you know maybe i'll see something that'll be helpful to them so it's ne- it's it's much much less about you know me promoting a personal brand and much more about sharing nine others because people might want to come to a dinner or they might want to buy a book or they might want to uh, read some of the stories um or i might be able to spot something that's relevant to one of my portfolio companies and, and helps them become more successful Mm. it's um yeah so the whole being online and and sharing or or, or, um, getting out there 
it's an interesting topic that I've also mm. talked about on the podcast several times. And actually, the next episode is going to be by uh, with an expert, like a personal branding expert, who focuses specifically on founders. So that's yeah. going to be hopefully an interesting conversation as uh, well. So. I mean, I'd be, yeah, I'd be interested to listen to that. And I mean, I again speaking personally, I am I'm better if I treat things like projects, like mini tasks, uh-huh. mini projects, uh-huh. um, and in the second half of last year, I just wasn't writing anything. You know, I've got a Substack, and I try to share some, some, some things that I learn about my investing. Um, and I just wasn't sharing anything. I don't know. I just had a bunch of drafts written, but I just hadn't hit publish. And I'm still not quite sure why, um, why I wasn't doing that. And it, maybe it just felt a bit open-ended and lacked purpose. Um, but then what I've committed to doing this year is writing one post a week and i don't know so all of a sudden that feels like it's got a bit of purpose behind it it's a bit of a project it's not open-ended i'm going to have a beginning so i've done the first one you know one out of 52 then i'm going to do two out of 52 three out of 52 and i don't know something in my my mind uh you know back to my techie days perhaps just likes that you know that little process or ticking off these tasks as i go through that project so again look it's about you know it's about finding something that that works and there's a bit of accountability there right if you put three out of 52 it's like well i gotta put out those 52 otherwise yeah that's not gonna look good yeah and i like that (laughs) as well i think that suits my character as well it's like this project that's what i've committed to am i absolutely sure yep let's go for it and then i will do it last january I had kind of similar. I committed to uh, writing, you know, every day on a weekday. So every day, five days a week throughout January. And I did that as well. And some of them were very short and it was like, oh my goodness, you know, I said I'd do this. So here's the post for today. Um, and some of them were more, much, much more thought through. Um, but I, I quite like that. And maybe it's treating it as a game, as a project, as things to as things to tick off. And then you've, I don't know, completed the level, so to speak. Um, that's been very useful for me about, you know, trying to get, trying to get more visible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good. Next question is one of my probably favorite ones. What do I do with my gut reactions? Why is that my favorite one? I think because I am probably the most confused about this one. So when you're confused about something, it's always good to talk about it at least, or, or think about it or write about it or whatever, but just get it out of your mind or, um, brainstorm a little bit about it so this is an interesting question for me because again i'll just share a bit of a personal story first i am a very analytical person right so Mm -hmm. my life is everything has a list everything has a spreadsheet everything has a score and when there's a big decision that needs to be made there's a score there's a pros and cons there's a swot analysis whatever is required right there's some kind of heavy thinking process that's very analytical and i'll never forget i had a conversation with a good friend of mine who's a pretty good psychologist and that's years ago maybe a decade ago i don't know um and she's completely different than i am you know i'm very analytical she's much more intuitive and she said yeah i mean that's that all sounds good that you make uh you know you think it's true and you make all these lists and you write it down but you're also assuming that you're really freaking smart and you actually think of every that you consciously think of all the possible scenarios uh and the way she thought about it she said i I actually think that my subconscious brain is way more powerful and just 
thinks of all those weird scenarios that I would never consider. And that's what my gut is telling me to do. I was like, oh, well, that's interesting. That's that's just not how I function. I function very differently. But I've been thinking about that ever since. And um, I wouldn't say that I've changed drastically. I think I'm still a fairly analytical person who likes to make those lists and spreadsheets. Um, and that makes me that helps me make sense of stuff and helps me make sense of my decisions. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's and I have one funny story as well of when I actually understood my gut really well. So that was a few years ago, and I just left my previous startup and I got a job. I moved to London. I got a job in London, and I quite liked my job. I thought it was really good. I thought it was I was gonna learn a lot. And, but there was always that itch, right? Ah, I need to start something else. I need to start a new business. And that was my big decision in my mind. It's like, what should I do? Should I do like just 50, 50? What's the right thing to do here? Mm. And somebody shared on Twitter that they are really good at giving career advice and they just have some free time. And, you know, if you want career advice, you can just message them and they'll give you a, they'll give you a reply. And that person, and I messaged them. I didn't know them. I messaged them. I tell them, look, Here's my situation. I'm not sure what should I do. Should I, like just go all in on the job or should I do something on the side? How would you approach this? And he said, "Look, it's better to go all in on whatever you're doing on whatever you're doing." Um, and he gave some kind of explanation why that's generally a better thing to do. And I didn't like his answer, and mm. that was my answer because I didn't like it. I was like, "Ah, so probably I shouldn't go all in on a job because mm. he gave me his he gave me his advice. I didn't like the advice. So what was the right thing for me was actually the opposite of what he recommended, right? Yeah. And that was all I needed. I got my answer, and that was my that's that's in a way how I would say that was when I listened to my gut, right? I didn't listen to his advice, but my feelings about his advice gave me the answer and you probably um, in the moment you probably didn't know why you didn't like his answer i didn't know but <laughs> i just realized later i was like yeah i don't like that so i'm, I'm not gonna do that <laughs> and that's the good thing right and i think i think you're look if you're an an more an analytical person and you've got everything in a spreadsheet and you score everything then that's fine but i i'm pleased to hear that you do leave a bit of room um for your gut to, to listen out to that and maybe that conversation with that careers person is an example of, of you know, you kind of got to force yourself into those positions sometimes to so kind of push yourself or prompt yourself into a situation where somebody will give an extreme view that you might disagree with. Only, you know, kind of engineer that, but only for the outcome of you being able to immediately sort of sense, no, that's not right. Mm. Or yes, this is completely right. And I think the interesting thing with your with, with gut decisions is, you know, whether you kind of intuitively think it's right or think it's wrong, you're probably right. However, it does take time and it takes a bit of reflection and sometimes, you know, an hour or two, sometimes if it's me, you know, it's out on a run or it's a day or two later. And I feel this sometimes when, you know, if I'm a bit anxious or a bit stressed or whatever, you kind of analytically think, oh, well, am I stressed because of this, because of this, because of this? And it's like, oh, you kind of tick those things off or those things, you know, happen and you're still a bit stressed. And then something will happen and it's like, ah, that's what it was. And I think that's it. I think that's with your gut decision or or some things that are in the subconscious. It can take time uh, and reflection to kind of be able to articulate exactly 
what that is exactly what mm. that's speaking to you from um so i think it's definitely worth worth you know leaving some space to listen to your gut but realizing that actually you might not be able to articulate what it's saying for you know a bit of time until afterwards yeah and this yeah, was well, you know we, we saw this a couple of i mean there's a couple of examples from nine others i'd um, love to hear some examples yeah yeah i mean in general and especially in the early days and still now a lot of the time you know we meet everybody before they come to a nine others dinner um and in the early days it was i mean it was quite straightforward because there's 10 people at the dinner you know katie's one of them i'm one of them so we need to fill the rest up so there's kind of eight people we need to find to fill the seats and we were meeting lots of startups anyway and we always you know fr right from the beginning we had this sense that actually we want people to share a challenge and to help the group and um so we wanted to kind of sense check that someone was going to come along and contribute before they got an invite because it'd be pretty hopeless if we went to a dinner and everyone was there just to you know pick up business cards and and be completely transactional about what they could take out of it so we would meet people and if we got a sense that this person was there for what they could take out of it rather than what they could contribute we'd not mention nine others you know we'd talk about the day job stuff which was probably why we had the meeting in the first place and it was it was yeah after doing nine others quite early maybe two or three months and i met someone and i just couldn't i just couldn't figure out why i thought they wouldn't be right for nine others and I was talking to Katie about it and I was, you know, was going back and forth and back and forth, you know, in one of our 7am uh, coffee meetings. Um, and I was like, oh, it, 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 this person just wasn't, just wasn't right. And I didn't know how to say about it or not say about it. And I landed on that. And it sounds very, I don't know, I don't want to sound like an idiot, but it, it, the, 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 the phrase I used was they just hadn't earned it yet. And it was like, ah, that might be it, right? They may be, you know, I'm sure they're a wonderful person. I don't wish them any ill or anything like that. But they hadn't kind of, not that we, you know, we were a few months in, but they hadn't kind of earned the right to come to Nine Others because they were just so obviously transactional and there for what they can take out of it. Mm. And once I landed on that phrase of they hadn't earned it yet, it was a case of, ah, okay, so they're just not in the right place right now. And maybe they will be in the future or maybe they will be, you know, um when we when we meet them again and and that was really really useful but that was a, a you know a clear example i can remember of something in my gut saying something wasn't quite right but it took a while and it took a discussion with katie to kind of put that into words and then from then ah then we had that kind of category for people who um you know were just there for what they can take out of it and it's like look they're great and everything they're nice people doing nice things but they're not, they haven't kind of earned the right to come and because they're not not a not a giver they're not they're not contributing mm -hmm. um so that was one that was one clear thing and then the other thing and this may be back to being um being comfortable being visible i remember um you know there was a there was a hard hard hitting shall we say journalist around the startup scene in sort of 2011 2012 and used to do you know hit jobs on people and I mean, some of them were, 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 were fine and, you know, deserved to be, but some of them were a bit vindictive and a bit nasty. And I was really worried as we were getting a little bit more visible with nine others, you know, what if this journalist guy gets a hold of it and like criticizes it and rips it to shreds and says it's a terrible idea. Um, 
but then after you know after a couple of more months I sort of you know have had a word with myself and it got to the point where it was like I don't care they can do whatever they want but I'm so comfortable with the with the purpose behind it what we're doing why we're doing it you know why it's right for some people and not right for other people you know all of that all of that worry about somebody doing a hit job on it because they didn't like the idea just disappeared mm. um and again that was that was more of a gut feeling after doing this for a certain number of months like okay this is you know it's a good thing and there are always going to be critics and they can knock it as much as they want but i know it's the right thing to do and i'm and i'm happy with that but again that took a that took a bit of time to get comfortable with do you think that gut feeling is something that you also evolve and become better at over time so in, in some oh, ways definitely. definitely i'm yeah. I'm curious if you can share any, anything more about that i am they definitely say that and i've obviously seen that in decision making right decision making mm -hmm. the the i don't know who said that but one of the best ways to become a better decision maker is to simply make more decisions because <laughs> you are like it's like you're flexing that muscle and yeah. you are and, and and you get hurt when you make a mistake right and you mm -hmm. learn from that that's how we mm -hmm. learn and, and you get rewarded when you make the right decision, right? And that's mm -hmm. how you become a better decision maker in general. And uh, obviously gut feeling is a part of that. And um, I think one thing I used to be, and I probably still am confused about, is sometimes I don't want to do something. And is there gut, <laughs> I'll call it gut feeling, but I, I don't think that's right. that's the right way to call it. There's this gut feeling that I shouldn't do something, but it's actually just because it's awkward. It's I'm afraid of it, and okay. it's actually the right thing to do. So, so that's the. It's easy to confuse those two things. Feeling like something yeah. is you know, like, like your gut telling you that this is not the right decision, but it shouldn't be because you're afraid of it, or it shouldn't be because it's awkward, right? Um, yes, I, I mean I think I'd agree with that. You're right; they are different things. It's it'll be quite interesting to explore the differences and how you can mainly how you can recognize that. Um, I think again, back to our visibility chat, you've got to do what's right for you. Um, but it will take a bit of experimentation and a bit of getting out of your comfort zone. Mm. So maybe that, maybe that could be helpful. Um, I think getting better at decision-making is, is yeah, something you can do with practice. Um, I think I've certainly, become better at that and like refined that you know that your gut your gut you know your gut decision is is kind of down to your intuition and i think the more yeah. you can the more you can practice something like my gut decision my my gut decision or my intuition uh or what i'm trying to um to get some intuition to base decisions from um is with the investment stuff so and, and, and I think my intuition and gut feeling has got a lot better over time from from doing nine others. But that's just been that's just having exposure to, you know, hundreds of different dinners, thousands of different entrepreneurs mm. and therefore thousands of different challenges and many, many more thousands of um, answers, tips, questions, pushbacks, you know, on those challenges. And I, I think if you've got so much exposure to to that kind of to that kind of thing you can't help but improve your uh intuition about it yeah 
Um, but you're right. The, the 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 part where you're maybe you maybe need a bit of courage is is different from the gut decision telling you it's not right. You know, your gut decision in those situations probably tells you, yeah, you should you should do that, mm. but it's scary. Exactly. Um, and I think that's the interesting thing. Sometimes we faced at nine others as well. Some people will come along and they'll, you know, you'll say, okay, so what's keeping you up at night? And they'll share a challenge. And I don't know, you kick it around a bit and it's like, hmm, that's a bit of a mask for something behind that, that mm. you're not willing to face. And although that's quite an uncomfortable conversation around the dinner table, sometimes in front of strangers, it's the most valuable thing because, oh, you know, I don't know, some people have a challenge with, you know, X, Y, Z in business. And, oh, okay, that seems fairly superficial. And we've discussed that. But then ah, you just sense that there's something deeper. And there often is, there always is. And it could be, you know, a challenge with, it, norm, normally it's with another person. So, they, you know, they're not getting on with their mm -hmm. co-founder or, you know, they're having a challenge in a particular business area, but it's because of the employee in that area. And maybe that person needs to up their game or, get out um so often yeah those things where your gut is telling you you know you've got a point in this direction here's where you know here's here's where the challenge is it can be frightening but that's still the right thing to pursue but it does take a bit of courage hmm. well maybe if it's a big decision then going with the kind of five wise approach is also a good a good way to go right where you yeah, perfect. ask yourself why five times and just try to go deeper 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 with with each yeah. why you go one level deeper what's what's really behind it and then they yeah. say some people say five some people say seven but after five whys you tend to get to the real root reason right why yeah. you think that you shouldn't be doing something yeah and it can take I a long time i mean it has with me as well sometimes you know you you think you should be doing something because you know a lot of smart people are giving you the same advice but you still mm. you're still not making progress on it so there's something behind there that's stopping you stopping you do it even though all these smart people are saying to do it um, yeah. that can yeah. take a bit of courage to kind of push back and really you know to your point think why a number of times yeah and probably really just be, be conscious of that that fear is a factor and just over time get better at recognizing that fear aspect of it mm. right and say well no i'm just afraid it's not actually mm. it's not my gut telling me it's a wrong decision it's just my fear kind of kicking in mm. um then we have well the ultimate question in a way or not what does it take to succeed <laughs> uh, that's that's what we are all wondering um i think you make a big a big point that discipline is really important right yeah discipline's huge i think of all the of all the points in the in the questions and in the in the chapters that we ask in the book i think one of the the one that can really help solve most of the others is is discipline um and i think you know as we've touched on with other things i think that is a muscle that you can that you can exercise you can flex and you can get mm. better at yeah. um in all sorts of areas so i think if you have discipline in one or two areas it helps with decision making and discipline in other areas um yeah. you know and there are lots of lots of examples on that but i think yeah i think discipline is really really key um i mean again speaking personally i've got a couple of a couple of things and again with discipline like it, it's it's often it's not a hundred percent thing but i think if you can really push yourself 
to a higher standard in certain areas, then um, then that's going to lead to being successful. And I have this thing about um, about doing meetings, right? There's no such thing as on time. You're either early or you're late. And that is part of discipline. And mm-hmm. often, that's not to say I'm never late for meetings. Of course I am. You know, it, things happen, you know, um, things happen and sometimes I run late. But I think having that mindset of not trying to aim to be on time because there's no such thing kind of makes you up your standard. So then you're then you're early. So you're a step ahead. Um so I think that's that sort of mindset is really is really important. And with the discipline, it can be such simple things, but it doesn't mean it's easy. Um, you know, I've I gave up alcohol last Christmas and the, not this Christmas we just had, but the one before that. So that's been, you know, 12 and a half months since I've had a since I've had a drink. And, you know, I'd done it for a month at a time before. One time I did three months. And once you get past the first few months, you know, even once you get past, you know, dry January or three months at the beginning mm. of the year, um, I think for me, it be, it then becomes a, a mental challenge of, am I disciplined enough to keep keep doing this? And I mm. think the pra- that, that practice of that discipline in that one area, I think helps with, um, with, trying to have high standards elsewhere yeah um you know i run i run a lot and i've run marathons and ultra marathons and all the rest of it and one of the reasons for going for ultra marathons beyond you know just a regular marathon distance which is you know long enough it was it was to have that mental discipline and one of the Mm. one of the first really long ones i did um was up in the north and you know you, you all start at the same point or the marathon people and the the marathon people and the ultra marathon people start at the same point and they do the route and then they get to the end of the um you know 26 miles and there's a sign that says marathon runners this way ultra marathon runners that way and that, even that's the moment when you start regretting it right ah, like, oh, man. but i mean <laughs> it, it is such a moment though and i and i remember it so well because i got to that point and even if you've you know signed up for the ultra category you can still just duck in and do the marathon route uh-huh. and, you'll, oh, yeah. and you'll, you'll get a marathon medal so it's like really tempting there. there's no one and there's nothing to stop you you know ducking in the marathon getting the marathon medal and then you know going and have a go and have a cup of tea and you, you're done but just at that fork where you where you have to make the decision and you have to say no i'm going to do the ultra and you turn right as soon as i took a couple of steps that way i felt amazing but my mm. god it took you know, it took a bit of, oh, gosh, I'm going to have to dig deep for these next, you know, 10 miles <laughs> going this way. Um, and it, yeah, it was brutal. But I think even those, you know, this, that simple decision of take, take a few steps that yeah. way um, kind of reinforces that, that discipline. And I think it's great. I think that's so powerful because you, mm, one thing that I noticed with myself, at least, is when you make those kind of things, two things happen. One is you have that proof that you're able to be disciplined right mm. it's like well I've, I've done this thing and it was really hard so i i know that i can do it and i think you also it becomes part of your identity or, or at least it did for me i mm-hmm. i i think i'm naturally quite lucky I, it's quite in my nature to be disciplined but a big difference it made a big difference for me when i realized that because as when i was much younger i was not really aware of it i was you know you're just you just do your things right you're just yourself and then at some point you realize oh i'm actually more disciplined than a an average person let's say 
and that's when it became really powerful for me because that's when it became part of my identity and it's like i am the disciplined person so i yeah. know that i can do that and i know that i can leverage that in uh, in all situations right across my life yeah and no, it's important that's really, and i think really it's powerful. yeah and you know it's good to have that it's good to recognize that um and I think in doing that, it also makes you realize what you're not disciplined in. You know, I'm hopeless at loads of things uh, mm -hmm. and that's fine because, you know, you, I want to I want to take some things extremely seriously, but yeah. I can't take everything extremely yeah, seriously. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's almost being being deliberately disciplined in a small number of areas. And that helps, you know, that helps with work, that helps with life, that helps hopefully bring more success. Um, but that comes with the knowledge of, you know, being completely hopeless in, in a bunch mm. of other areas, <laughs> but that's okay. And you can certainly train yourself, as you mentioned before, right? There's, um, you, you can, there's all sorts of tricks and, you know, one thing is even accountability that we, that we mentioned before, right? You, you, you said about how you have, um, you want to write a post every week and because yeah. of that, you say the, the title of the post or, or whatever it is starts with one out of 52, two out of 50, uh, mm. 52, three out of 52. So there's a bit of accountability there. And I use accountability all the time, whatever I can. Mm -hmm. uh, with my team, I'll just say, look, I'm going to do this thing by tomorrow morning. And then I have to do it by tomorrow morning because I promised, right? So I can't not do it. And I'm even, so <laughs> one thing that I do sometimes is I schedule emails or I send emails in advance um, and I'll be like, look, this is already done. It's not done yet, but it has to be done by the time that person is going to wake up or get the email. <laughs> read the right? email. So, oh, brilliant. That's yeah. a good one. <laughs> so then, it, you know, I have no excuse. I just have to do it. Um, yeah. And I, I think that's, uh, there are ways, there are tricks you can play on yourself to also build that discipline or gamify it for you or maybe just leverage other tools so that you don't necessarily need that disciplined muscle as much you can use other you, tools yeah or you need it in the right areas like you know over the last um certainly six months probably year or so i've tried to slim down on what i do so i i want to do fewer and fewer things um but i want to do those few things really really well and i think often if you're you know if you're struggling with what to do or what to pursue well, choose fewer things, but in those, you know, in that thing, raise your standards. And that takes a lot of discipline, but that shows that, okay, in these few things, I'm going to try and be the best in the world. Um, and it's quite a narrow focus, but I want to be the best at it. So therefore all the other stuff, mm -hmm. you've got to be comfortable with actually that you might let that slide. You might have yeah. to say no to all those things that look interesting and exciting and all the rest of it. Um, but you just got to let that go because you know, the cost of wanting to be successful and wanting to be focused and disciplined on a small number of things means you're not going to do it across everything. So you've got to mm. make a decision to let that stuff go. And um, that that in itself takes discipline. Um, but it's, oh, yeah. it's it's a good thing to do to raise those standards. That's a different, like saying no, especially if you have a bit of a shiny object syndrome, which many of us do. Yeah. Um, Exactly. Founders like starting things. Yeah. So there, there are lots of interesting, shiny objects. And oh, I could start this, I could start that. I could, you know, read about this, read about that. Um, it's really hard. Lots of temptations. Um, how do I get comfortable being uncomfortable? So that's another question in the book, which is also, we've touched on that a little bit because I think a lot of the questions are 
a bit connected to each other, right? So you need to be uncomfortable. Yeah, you need to be uncomfortable to get to put yourself out there and so on and so forth. So there's um, some connectivity there. But there's one sentence that you wrote in a book that I would like to read, or maybe it's like parts of the sentence. You say, at school, you're looking for answers that are 100% right, but this is not a good parallel for life as a founder or maybe real life at all. I think that's a pretty interesting realization for somebody who was really good at school. I was actually, I, I was really good at school. So I, I figured that out. I figured out how that works and I played that game incredibly well. And I think it kicked me in the butt when I had to start living in the real life because that's just <laughs> not how it works. Because you realize that there are no, they're very rarely correct answers. They're only probabilities. Like, well, this is probably better than the other thing. Mm. And in school, it's not like that. In school, it's, yeah, it's usually either it's a one or a zero. It's a true or a false, right? Most, most of the questions that you get and most of the kind of thinking that you learn there is like that. And uh, it took some time to adjust to real life or to life as a founder and um it you need to change how you make decisions and it's it's uncomfortable it's uncomfortable in those situations when you're not you're looking for the 100 percent correct answer but there is no 100 yeah. percent correct answer right <laughs> yeah well there's something that might be helpful here is um something we 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 talk about in the section about trusting your gut um, and this is helpful for this, I think. So in the in the in trusting your gut, you know, uh, for nine others, Katie and I have this completely arbitrary um, rule, and it's the sixty five percent rule. And um, so we say, if we're sixty five percent sure, and how can you score these things? Well, you can't, but that's the kind of the point. But we sort of say, okay, well, if we're sixty five percent sure that this person would be a good, you know, a good guest at nine others, or for sixty five percent sure that we should, you know say yes rather than no or whatever it is uh, then we go for it and i think that's it because you're never going to get a hundred percent and a lot of these situations are extremely uncomfortable and we've learned over the years of of hosting nine others that there are all these challenges and there is never you know there's never an obvious oh yeah we'll just do you know do x and if you do x then you will get the answer to your prayers it just doesn't happen so you, you there is always going to be a bit of discomfort and a bit of trade-off and a price to pay um and i think the more you can again engineer a bit like discipline you know engineer situations in your life where you you come across little bits of discomfort then that can help when you have to have the really uncomfortable stuff come along 100 percent. i had a rule for myself for a while that um whenever something feels awkward i just need to do it um because there, there are a lot of things there they're just slightly awkward and because of that you don't want to do them and it's so mm-hmm. powerful if you gamify that for yourself and say well if it's awkward i'm just going to do it because awkward is not wrong usually awkward mm-hmm. is just you're just uncomfortable doing it for whatever reason right um and, and also, you know, again, like through nine others as well, we've seen so many people do so many amazing things and none of the, you know, there's some exceptional people doing crazy, crazy stuff and none of it is impossible. It's all, you know, back to your Steve Jobs example and different, different Steve Jobs example, you know, everything we see is built by people like mm-hmm. us. So it's, it's amazing to have mm-hmm. seen what some people have done and they've done it. And we've we've had those examples and we've met those people and and been inspired by them. So that kind of makes you think, well, if you want it enough and you're gonna you're willing to put in the work and pay the price and 
yeah, be uncomfortable and and for it to take a bit of courage and all the rest of it. If you want it enough, if it you know going back to the why, then it's completely possible. Yeah, it's just a case of doing the work. Yeah. And it helps so much being around people who have done it, right? So what you were saying mm -hmm. about nine others, that just changes your perspective so much. Oh, massively. If, massively. If, if you don't come from that kind of environment or that kind of family, or if you're not just naturally right, like that, if you're not just naturally the kind of person who thinks that everything is possible and you can do everything, um, you certainly start realizing that when you meet people who have done it and you realize mm -hmm. that they're not, they don't have superpowers, right? They just uh, decided to try and yeah. sometimes it just worked. <laughs> and that's... And those, yeah, the people that the people that do the amazing things, you sometimes think, oh, yeah, yeah, you can come up with excuses or whatever. Oh, it's all right for them because of this, this, and this. Well, if they've done something exceptional, you can guarantee that the vast majority of that was uncomfortable, outside their comfort zone, you know, took a heck of a lot of courage and, and discipline and all the rest of it, you know, it, it didn't come easy to the people who've become exceptional. Yeah, no. And that's, um, yeah, that I think that's the beauty of it. You know, people say, don't meet your heroes. And I understand why they say that, uh, because you're often disappointed and that hero is not necessarily a hero of yours anymore. But I think that's the wrong way to look at it mm. because you shouldn't be disappointed. I think you should be empowered. It's like, well, they're actually not that special. So yeah. how, how great is that? So that means you can yeah. do it too. Yeah, it's brilliant to meet your heroes because you will realize that they are just ordinary humans yeah. uh, with faults and fears and stresses like the rest of us. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that kind of brings us this to one of the last questions in the book, which is who can help, right? It's um, you can't do it on your own. Um, everyone, nobody's... Uh, self-made success uh, i think mm -hmm. pretty, pretty much everyone gets help from somewhere or not just from somewhere from a whole lot of different places typically right um and obviously i think you've approached that incredibly well with nine others both surrounding yourself with incredible people but also helping everyone else to surround themselves with other like-minded smart inspiring mm -hmm. connected people who are doing cool stuff um and I think it's really important. I, th I talk about that on the podcast a lot as well because I, I think it's important. I think I struggled with it in the past. I don't think I was naturally the kid who would just network with everyone or who just meet all the kids in school or whatever. But you can learn it. You can do it. And you can, you know, go to events like Nile others and be out there and just... But it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of proactivity. A whole yeah. lot of work. And you... I also like to say that it's like many things in life. Meeting people is also, it's kind of like sales or marketing. If you want, you need to call it a hundred people and then three of them are going to buy. And with meeting people, it's very often the same. You meet, you need to meet a hundred people and then three of them are going to change your life, but you have to go through the, doing the work of meeting those hundred people. Right. Yes. Yeah. You wouldn't be able to identify the three immediately. Um, and even if you did meet three, then maybe only one of those would turn it into something and the other two wouldn't. So yeah, there's always mm -hmm. that balance. Um, and it is something, you know, I, I always keep saying, uh, build your network before you really need it. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got to put the work in and meet people and go to events. And, you know, like in the early days of Nine Others, Katie and I were working with these investors and actually before Nine Others started. 
um, you know, we were working on a project and we would be out at networking events three, sometimes four nights a week after a day's work. And then we'd be in, you know, in, in work again early the next day. Um, and, you know, some of those networking events were terrible. They weren't a good fit for us. Uh, you know, it didn't work. Some of them, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I've had to work on it as well to go and network um so some of them you know i'd go into and i'd feel really uncomfortable and i'd walk out and then sometimes i'd you know have a word with myself and go back in or other times it would be like oh no i'm just not i'm just not in the right zone it'll be it'll be pointless so i'll disappear and then others you have just the best time and you make some amazing connections um often to people you you meet on the way out after a couple of hours um but you've got to keep going to these things again and again and if you keep going to such a variety of of events then you get to know the ones that work for you and you might get to know other people that go regularly and then you might get to know the organizer of the event and then you might be able to help out and you know contribute and help organize um some of these events yeah. and then you get to be the connector um yeah. and then you're you know introduced to even more people and then you find your you know you find your groove and it takes a long time and that's why you know it needs a bit of effort um and you've got to give, you've got to contribute for a long, long time. And and we had this with nine others. We, again, like we spoke about before, at the very worst, we'll host a dinner with some interesting people. But mm, if we keep, if we keep doing that, then a couple of things will definitely happen. Like one, you know, some of the people that we connect and introduce and come to nine others will, you know, will do a deal or collaborate or do whatever. And that'll go off and that'll be successful and we'll have nothing more to do with it. You know, we'll never see, you know, we'll never sort of get any reward from that. And we never really want anything from that. You know, it was just, a, just we just wanted to create this environment where people could help each other. Um, but we just intuitively thought from the beginning, you know, if we keep doing that, then it would be a bit weird if nothing ever, you know, after years ever came back to us. Yeah. I mean, we, that's not why we're doing it. And you, you do things without any expectation of getting anything in return. Um, but yeah, you keep doing that. And course opportunities come back to us. And, yeah. you know, nine others drives everything that I do now. Um, as we've, as I, as I said, I'll, you know, hopefully do it forever, whichever way it goes. Um, uh, yeah, so it's great. It's great. I think that's a very good way of looking at it, right? Um you just give, try to help others in whatever way you can, right? Figure out what are the ways that you can. One thing I love to do is I find something interesting, could be an interesting book, article, course, whatever it is, and I send it to people who might benefit from it. And that's, look, maybe they don't appreciate it, maybe they do, I don't know, but I know that I appreciate what somebody's, not always, but sometimes yeah. somebody's going to send, send me something, something really useful. I'm like, oh, that's great. Thank you for sharing that, right? Yeah. Or even book notes, right? I, I share book notes. <laughs> when I read a book, I make, so I usually read on a Kindle and I make highlights and I always move that to my Google Drive anyway because it's for myself. And I share those kind of things with people or, I don't know, documents and frameworks and stuff that we create or that I create for, for the business or for my life or whatever, just share those kind of things. Hey, this might be useful for you. Mm -hmm. um, and then introductions. Introductions are such an easy thing. Mm -hmm. Probably maybe early in your career, introductions are not easy because you don't have anyone to introduce yet. But later on, uh, it becomes easier and easier. It's all the kind of things that you can just do, connect people together and 
with no expectations, as you said, because two things. First, if you have ex high expectations, you're always going to be dis disappointed because very often nothing's going to happen. Second of all, I think you should just in enjoy doing it, not yeah. just doing it for the sake of getting something in return, because then you're yeah. going to hate it, right? Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, eventually some things start coming back to you. Um, and it's, um, I think it's just pleasant helping other, others, isn't it? Like, you, you know, you, you do something that's hopefully going to be helpful for, uh, you do something that's hopefully going to be helpful for someone. How how great is yeah, that? Yeah, it's, it's just such a, um, you know, such a low cost thing to be generous. Yeah. And, it, and it makes other people be generous as well if you keep doing it. Um, you know, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna result in some great things. I mean, you know, a bit like starting a company is going to get extremely difficult, like we talked about at the beginning. So you've got to have a deeper purpose behind it. You know, if you are default generous, well, one of the guaranteed results is downside, you know, eventually somebody might take advantage of that. Um, yeah. And you'll get you'll get stung. Um, and that's happened to me. But that doesn't, you know, that doesn't stop me trying to uh, be, you know, a net positive because if you keep sharing things or you you express gratitude or you write to people and say thank you for doing you know such and such thank you for that talk thanks for writing that book thanks for you know all sorts of things um you keep doing that then yeah eventually someone will someone that might inspire someone else to uh, to do the same uh, so it's all the net positive yeah i do believe so as well yeah good there are more questions in the book. I think we covered maybe half of them. Uh, we don't have time to go through all of them. So I'm afraid you're just going to have to get the book <laughs> to, to figure all the others. Um, it's wh uh, Where can people find it? On Amazon? Uh, so you can search on Amazon, find your nine others. Um, it's available in Waterstones, Foils, things like that in the UK. Um, but yeah, Amazon. Or you know, write to me if you want a signed copy. I've got some of them. Cool, nice. Well, we're gonna link to the Amazon, uh, to the Amazon page on the show notes, uh, as well as to your Twitter, LinkedIn profile, so people can find you. And I think that's it. Is there anything else we should talk about? No, I think that's great. It's been a good conversation. Nice to see you again. Um, I hope that's helped some people. You know, but I think the strong thing is the thing that I've, has resonated with me is to keep thinking about why you're doing what you're doing. Mm. Um, have some discipline in a small number of areas and uh and yeah just be just be generous because it's such a nice thing to do and it's quite infectious perfect yeah i think it's a great 10 questions to go through for to to learn about yourself and to make a bit of a almost like a strategic plan of how you're going to conquer this startup game so highly recommend it thank you thanks matthew thanks Thanks for listening until the end. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like the content, please do me a favor and click the like button on YouTube or give us five stars on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts. Uh, leave a comment, subscribe if you want to hear more from us. Uh, that really helps also to get the podcast out there and that helps me get more interesting guests and create even more interesting content. So I really appreciate it if you do that. If you have any other comments, questions, feel free to message me. You can find me on Twitter. That's usually the best channel. Um, the link should be somewhere in the description and uh, yeah, check out my Twitter. I try to tweet interesting stuff about similar content that we talk about on the podcast. 
um, key insights from the podcast as well and just generally stuff that I learn and stuff that I do. So see you. Thanks.